Dramatic pause. That was for effect. It really was. Just cleaning up up here. That's all right. <laughs> so good to see everyone this morning. Um, Thanksgiving, or the weekend after Thanksgiving, uh, which is always a, a great time of celebration. I hope everybody got enough turkey to eat. Uh, you may still be eating turkey now. I know that I am, which is all right. I enjoy that. Um, so it's really great uh, to be able to, to be here today with you guys and uh, to, to bring the message. Um, this is, uh, this is a, a lot. It's a lot that we're going to go through today. Um, and uh, I want to kind of get us set up. And then I'm going to, I don't know if anybody plays golf, but I'm going to try the best I can. I'm going to, I'm going to put the pin down. I'm going to put the ball on the pin, and I hope to get a hole in one. Now, I may fall short of the hole in one, but maybe you can put it in for me, all right? So, uh, but we have a lot that we're going to go through, and hopefully um, we can really uh, find God's intention for us in this. So to give you a little background, uh, last week... We are Luke 14, 1 through 6, and we saw that Christ um, had been invited by the Pharisees to uh, come to a meal. Now, this is the Sabbath meal, and so I want to kind of talk to you a little bit about that, all right? The Sabbath meal was, per, uh, was made the night before, okay? And so this was like the lunchtime meal after service. So think Baptist potluck. Okay, that's, that's what we're thinking, right? So um, Jesus had come and, and spoke, and so it was the tradition that the, the, the main guy or the Pharisee of the temple would then invite that guest to have the meal with them afterwards. And so we saw on their way to this meal, uh, they encountered uh, a, a man with dropsy, or like Nate had explained, swelling, inflammation, and Christ really put them on the spot and asked them if it was all right to heal this uh, gentleman on the Sabbath. And of course, they didn't have a response, and Christ healed him. And so we learned a lot about the Sabbath and, and what God's intention for us is in that. So now what we see is they're at the meal, and the conversation begins, and I, wanted to, I really want to express to you is meals are very important, the breaking of bread. Uh, and so the significance of this, it, it, I, we can't get lost in it, okay? We see in Acts that the disciples, after the Pentecost, the first thing they do is they go and celebrate and have a meal and break bread together with the new believers, uh, we see the Last Supper and the significance of the meal, right? We see that Jesus, even in the New Testament, a lot of times when he's teaching, he is at a meal, okay, because of the intimacy of that. We've lost that in North American culture. Some may remember when supper time around the table in America was important. Everyone stopped what they were doing came together as family, and they shared a meal together. And so 
We can't get lost in the importance of them coming together and having this meal and then Christ taking the time to teach in this setting, okay? So I'm going to chunk this into to three parts, and we're going to learn about what Christ is talking to us about and, uh, and really dive into it from there. Now, I'm going to warn you, on the way here, I did change a little bit of this this morning. <laughs> so I spent many hours laboring over this message, but this morning, it really became clear to me what God is trying to tell us in this message. And so we're going to get into that at the end, all right? But let's pray, and then we're going to start jumping in to Luke 14, 7 through 24, all right? Father, um, humility, it comes very hard for us, Lord, especially in this culture that drives us to pride. Lord, it's um, natural for us to puff up our chest, Lord, to look for ways to be exalted, uh, but we know, Lord, that you are the one to be exalted, that we bring nothing to the table, that we are the unclean, the sinners, but Lord, through your mercy and grace, you sent your son to die on a cross, to raise on the third day so that we may be saved, Lord. Let us not lose that in our hearts. Let us not mistaken how incredible that is. Lord, help us humble ourselves as we come before you. Be with us now. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so the, the first chunk today is spoken to us in Luke 14, 7 through 11. So 7 through 11, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the place of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come to you and say, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." So what God's really showing us in this first part of the passage is a humility for guests. And so to give you an idea of how the, the room might be laid out is it would be couches in kind of a U formation. There would be three, like a large one at the, the head and then two couches that go along the side. So the person with the most prominence would sit in the middle, dead center, where they could see the entire room. There would be a table in front of them, and that's where they would, would take their meal from. And what's interesting, though, is as you can imagine, if you've been to a, 
any type of event, whether it be a social event, a business event, people want to jockey to sit closest to the big guy, right? They're going to start moving around, and I want to sit next to him. I want to be close to him where I could speak to him. He can hear me. Uh, they can see me. But what Christ is saying here is we shouldn't be jockeying for that important spot. So Jesus warns us about pride, and then he instructs them in a, in a humble and better way. So again, we've got to really squash the pride that is natural in our heart. He's not just talking about in a meal setting, even though he's using this, but he's talking to us in general. We should be humble. It's very easy to become very prideful in the things that are happening around you, but we've got to understand that it is God who is providing that. And what he says here is, isn't it better to have the host come to you and say, no, no, you're not the least place. I want to bring you higher. I want to bring you up. So we should first voluntarily be humble, is godly, and is better than being proud and embarrassed. And that's what's interesting here is, is Christ even gives the example of a person who comes with another person and they jockey over that spot and the host has to come to him and say, no, no, this spot's not for you. You need to move down, right? But really, that happens sometimes in our life when God has to remind us of our place. When we become too prideful and he comes alongside us and reminds us to have humility. But if we start with humility in our hearts, we save ourselves that embarrassment. But we also approach God in the way that he would hope us to approach him with that humble spirit. Which takes us to the, to the next part. Luke 14, 12 through 24, or uh, I'm sorry, 12 through 14. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So the next is humility for hosts. So what is our humility as a host? James 1.27, one of my favorite verses in James, says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So in this, Jesus is specifically speaking to the host of the meal, 
But the lesson is for everyone. It's for all of us. See, it's easy to invite those who can repay you. We do that a lot of times. A lot of times we will help our friends knowing that, hey, I got a favor on loan, right? I'll help you because I know when I'm ready to move, I'm going to call you and you're going to bring your truck over, right? Or um, I know that if I host um, uh, a wedding shower for you or a baby shower, that when it's my turn, you'll host a baby shower for me. Like that's sometimes how we think in these things. But what Jesus warns in this is we are more glorifying to him when we de- do those things who can, for those who cannot repay us. We should do those things for the people that aren't able to host the party for you next week, are not able to help you when you move the next time. We should help them in a humble heart. So we should be the ones that initiate that, and we do that in a way that glorifies God and not glorify ourselves. Again, it's very tough for us not to have that pride bubble up, right? And say, hey, look at me, I'm helping people. But in this, we're to be humble hosts. We should look at it as a way to glorify God. We should look at it as a way to reflect Christ's love and his mercy for us. And by doing that, we then are a witness, a testimony to him. Because when then people see us doing that and they ask us, hey, you can't get anything back from them. Why would you do that? It's because God, right? Because I love God and God loves me and I love my neighbor. I love these people because God loves them. And that's what should drive us to want to serve. Which brings us to the last part. And this is where I want to really spend the time in diving in. Because the the first verses 7 through 14 talks about just the humility of serving and our heart to be humble. Because really, a humble guest and a humble host is just it's just humility. It's, it's being humble in how we act and how we carry on in our daily lives. But it's really 15 through 24 that we get into the meat. And I'll tell you, I'm a little embarrassed for this guy right here. So in 15, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So this is someone who's not humble. And I'm going to tell you why. He's hearing Christ talking about being humble. And he being one of the Pharisees. One of the guys that probably was there when they brought Christ to Pilate and said, you know, deal with, deal with this guy. He's the one who thinks, hey, I get to party in heaven. I've followed all the rules, right? But Christ says, let me tell you a story. Let me knock you down a couple notches, right? So in 16, he says, but he said to him, 
A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, I, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then his master of his house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets in the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you command has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited shall taste of my banquet. So this is humility in God's invitation. So to give you some context, again, when there was a wedding banquet or a big to-do like this, there would first be a save a date, much like we get now, right? When our friends are having a wedding, they'll send something out far in advance that says, hey, save this date, wedding invitations come in, but this is the date we're going to get married. So these people that asked to be excused, it wasn't like it wasn't on their calendar, right? At least we hope. They got the save a date invitation, and they put it on the counter calendar. But then when the servants came, they said, let us be excused. So what's interesting in this story is the invitation first went out to those considered elite, right? The religious Jews, but they rejected it. See, these are his, his friends. I mean, they bought land, right? They bought oxen. First off, who buys land and doesn't see it? Anyone buy land sight unseen? I mean, who buys anything sight unseen? I mean, right? Or oxen. Hey, I go, go check out the oxen. That's like saying, hey, I, I bought a car. I'm going to go test drive it now, right? Like, I mean, you had to save the date, right? Like, what's going on here? But they rejected it. And so then the master who, gra- who got angry, rightfully so, said, send the invitation. Next goes out to those that the Jewish people considered unclean, right? So common, uh, you know, just common non-Jews uh, they don't meet the Jewish standard. Um, they were the crippled, the blind, the poor. And yet, they still didn't fill the banquet hall. And what does the master say? Go out again, further. Don't just go to the city. Go out to the highway and the hedges. Go out and find. But what I love, he says, compel people. Remember that word, compel people 
to come to my banquet. But then he, he ends it with an, a warning. And he says, none of those invited who rejected the invitation will taste the banquet. So let's, let's talk about first the, the excuses, right? I kind of touched on those. The first two excuses are really material items, right? They're allowing material to get in front of them, to not come to this banquet. The third excuse was family. And we see that, you know, family is a big deal in the Bible, but it would not prohibit you from coming to enjoy this banquet. And so that was a pretty lame excuse as well. So these three excuses really just don't, they don't uh, pass the, the, the smell test at all. And so what I want you guys to do, and, and this is really the, the application of, of what we see in these verses, is I want you to really quickly at the bottom of your sermon notes, if you're taking sermon notes, I put it down here at the bottom, is there, there's a cast of characters in this story. Now, these cast of characters, we can play or we can be put in each one of the, the cast members. Well, except for the master, because we know who's playing that part. That's God, okay? But there's the elite, there's the servant, and there's the unclean. And I want to talk about those three characters that are part of this story and what it means to us and how we can be warned not to be and how we can have joy in being. So let's first talk about the elite. So the elite were the ones that he invited, the Jewish nation, right? So God had given the Jewish people, centuries to know when the Messiah, when he was coming. It's still, to this day, sometimes just scrambles my head that these same Pharisees that knew the law, they knew the Torah backwards and forwards, sat across from Jesus and did not recognize him as the Messiah, as God's son. And they refused to. And a lot of times the reason they refused to was going back to pride. They didn't have humility. They weren't looking at it with a humble spirit. What they thought of is, we're going to lose our power. Here's this guy going around, doing miracles, getting a bunch of people following him, saying that our laws are not right, we're going to lose our power and influence. we got to get rid of this guy. Instead of looking and saying, hey, this guy's doing miracles. <laughs> Maybe we should look a little bit deeper. Maybe we should listen to what he's saying. Maybe we should really analyze when he's quoting straight from our Torah and from the law that he knows what he's talking about. But instead, their pride blinded them. Now, we can be blinded too. 
right? And we can sometimes give those lame excuses. Now, I've been, uh, we went through when people change, or how people change, we've been doing that in our uh, uh, missional communities, right, for the last couple weeks. And in our missional community, we've talked a lot about the Christian lifestyle and the Christian life. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. The Christian lifestyle, much like the Pharisees, is I follow the rules, right? I go to church on Sunday when it's not raining. Or, you know, I'll go and serve if my schedule fits that. Or, you know, sometimes I give to charity if I see someone who needs it. I really don't know the people in my church. I wouldn't necessarily consider them family. And that's the Christian lifestyle. And unfortunately, in America, when being a part of the church was as big of a political or job advantage as it was following Christ, we found that to become very commonplace. So the excuses, much like these elite, were lame, right? Oh, I've, I, I've got X, Y, and Z. I, I cannot make it today. I can't be a part of the body. But see, the Christian life, which Christ has called us to, is all-encompassing. It shouldn't be, hey, I've got time if I you know, look at my schedule first, it should be, God's calling me to do something, I'm cleaning my calendar. I'm wiping the calendar because God has called me to do this. Like when the, we see it when uh, in Matthew, the three people come to, to Jesus and say, hey, I'm going to follow you, but I got to go bury my, rel- or my father. And he says, let the dead bury the dead, right? That's, that's Jesus saying, not later, now, or the rich young ruler, when Christ says, go sell all your things and follow me. It's not, hey, uh, give 10% um, if it's okay, if that's not too inconvenient, and then just come every once in a while. It's sell it all and come follow me. So this is a warning not only to the Pharisees, but it's a warning to us that we should fully embrace the Christian life. That we are not to just follow Christ sometimes, but all the time. 1 John 1.6 says, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Seven goes on to say, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. And that's what, that's his mercy and grace. We want to wash our sins away. But it's not a, a either or. It's all or none. I used to 
say a lot that straddling the fence will only give you, well, you'll be sore. It's one side or the other, right? And in John, uh, it says, you know, those that went away from us did not know him. So sometimes those that are sitting in the pews need to hear this as much as someone down the street at the bar. Because we think, hey, I'm, following, I'm, I'm living that Christian lifestyle. But we haven't accepted Christ yet. We haven't invited him into our hearts. We haven't given our life to him. We're just trying to check boxes like the Pharisees were doing. They checked all the boxes. But when they stand before Christ, he'll say, I did not know you. Right? The next character that we play is the servant. I love this character. And the reason I love this character is think about the joy. Right? So here's a servant of this master. And he's used to dealing with the elites. Right? Oh, I got to go invite the elites, the snobby people that are looking down at me again to this great banquet. But when the master says, go out, right, quickly to the streets and the lanes and bring the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame, those are his friends, right? Those are the people that he associates with. And he's thinking, oh my goodness, I'm inviting my friends to this, this grand banquet as we see as an illustration of what heaven will be. Right? We've got to remember that, that Jesus uses these illustrations like the banquet as, as Christians. I mean, this is not like Dick Clark New Year's Eve party, but this is like the, the biggest party you could ever imagine where you're enjoying each other and loving each other and having a great time, the joy that we can't even imagine if we remember Jesus' first miracle, what was it? It was at a wedding banquet, right? The party was winding up, and his mom said, hey, let's keep this going, right? Because they're enjoying each other, and he turned water to wine. This is what we have to look, to look forward to. So this servant got to invite his friends. It is, I mean, it's so exciting, but what we got to remember in this is in Philippians 1, 21, Paul writes, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So we know what we have to look forward to, right? But we got work to do right now. God has a plan for us right now, just like he had a plan for this servant, Right? You're going to get a chance to come to the party, servant. Like, you're going to get a chance. But right now, what I need you to do is go, remember that word? Compel. Compel the people to come in. That's what we should be doing right now as servants of God. We should be going out to every corner of Bullock County and Shepherdsville and compelling those to come experience God's mercy and, and grace. Come experience his salvation. 
Come, have a personal relationship with God. The creator of the universe loves you so much. Come, compel them to come. And then the last character that we play in this script is the unclean. We're the unclean. Plain and simple, we're the sinners. You know? Uh, we're, we're the, the Jewish people looked at us as the lowest of low. And we've got to understand, we bring nothing to the table. I mean, have you ever been to a meeting or, or to a party where you bring nothing to the table? Right? I, I don't know. I have. Tuesday nights, uh, when we have Multiply 22 and all these pastors are here and I'm here and they've got all their letters and stuff behind their name, I don't bring anything to the table. But I am blessed to be at the table. It's such a blessing to, to hear and to learn, right? We have to be humble and excited to be at the table. But we have to understand our place. We bring nothing to the, to the party. We bring nothing. The cripple and the poor and the lame, they brought nothing to this party, to this banquet. But the master was joyful that his banquet hall was full. That's what God wants to do, is he wants to fill his banquet hall. He wants to fill the kingdom. And that's why he tells his servant to go and compel those to come in. So we have to understand from a humble heart that we've been blessed, that God's grace and mercy covers us, and we should be excited by that. But that excitement and that joy should be also what motivates us to go out, to bring people in, join our family, be a part of this. Yes, here on earth, there may be suffering, there may be trials, there may be turmoil, roadblocks, hurdles. We understand that. Paul was writing from a prison. <laughs> I mean, I don't, uh, you know, he's locked up. And let me tell you, prisons then are certainly not like prisons now. It wasn't like three squares and a, and a nice bed and TV part of the day, right? Prison then was you were shackled, you may get to eat. You would usually get water that was collected from the rain falling through the cell. But he says to live is Christ, but then to die is gain. He understood. He understood that this time on earth was his mission, and God had a plan for him. But oh, the glory Oh, the joy that comes when we get to meet Christ in heaven, right? That's what we're living for. That's what the great thing is, is we've got so much to look forward to. And so what Jesus has taught us in this is first, be humble. Be humble as guests, be humble as hosts. Be humble in how we receive his invitation. But in that humility, we must serve. We must live a Christian life. We should be all in. We should be out compelling others to come to the banquet, to enjoy the, the great party that God is throwing for us. So let's pray. Father.
it um, is sometimes hard to even wrap our heads around the idea that as the creator of the universe, Lord, that you loved us enough that you want us to be with you for eternity. God, we know that that, is, that doesn't have to happen. Um, and that we don't have to be a part of the plan. We don't have to be the servant to go out and compel. God, your sovereignty is so great that with just a snap of the finger, Lord, you could bring all things into creation. But God, you want to use us to fulfill your plan, to be a part. Lord, let us be excited and find joy in that. Let us compel us to how we live our lives, Lord, knowing that the time spent here on earth is fleeting. Let us glorify you in the time we have and know that when we are together with you in heaven, what an incredible banquet it will be. In your son's name we pray, amen.